Good morning. This morning we turn our attention to the vice of sloth. So are you awake? Are you bored? Are you static? Are you melancholy? Are you moving or are you just there? The animal, the sloth, is an interesting creature. Um, Goofy looking. Uh, Sloths move only when necessary and even then extremely slowly. They are slow-moving animals, actually the world's slowest mammal. So slow that algae grows on their fur and they don't ever brush it off. They travel at 0.15 miles per hour, just a hair ahead of a garden snail. Uh, But just because they move slowly doesn't mean that they're physically limited to a snail's pace. It's just their nature. Uh, They're very still most of the day. And this is not because they're inherently lazy. The sloth's mission statement is very simple. Avoid being eaten by eagles, okay? And so that's why they're still. It's a defense mechanism. There's no real defense for a bird that is willing to dive bomb a tree, flip upside down, grab you off the vine, and eat you. It's better that they just don't see you at all. That's the mission of a sloth. Infant sloths normally cling to their mother's fur, but they occasionally fall off. But they're built sturdy. The sloths are built sturdy, and they rarely ever die from the fall. Some die not from the fall, but because their mother refuses to leave the tree to go retrieve their infant. And the animal that has traditionally been connected with the vice of sloth is actually not the sloth. It's a bear. A bear, due to its hibernation, uh, sleeping many months of the year. Here's our 16th century painting by Peter Bruegel the Elder, entitled Sloth from his Seven Deadly Sins series, much more appropriate than last week's painting on lust. Now, the Bible rarely uses the word sloth to describe people. Rather, it uses the word sluggard. It's kind of a word that's a little bit out of date, sluggard. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 26 and chapter 6. It'll be on the screens. It says this, as a door turns on its hinges... So a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. As a door on hinges, so a sluggard going from one side to the other side while laying in bed. And he puts his hand in the dish ready to eat, but he's just too lazy to pick it up and put it in his mouth. Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. He's telling a sluggard to go to the ants, look at them and see what they do. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. This is our traditional understanding of sloth, inactivity, laziness. Some deadly sins can be done in a flash, but we have to work up to the vice of sloth. It likes cement, it takes a while for it to harden in our lives. And it's not a popular subject in churches today, yet it plagues us. It doesn't get the same attention that lust does, but it is nonetheless just as deadly, perhaps more. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, breaks down the vices into categories, the animal self and the diabolical self. 
Lust falls into the animal self and sloth into the diabolical self. And this is what he writes. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting the pleasures of power and hatred. For there are two things inside me competing with the human self, which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it's better to be neither. (laughs) Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for clarifying that. In his book on the seven deadly sins, Dan Boone writes this, A slothful person is willing to benefit from the work of others, without doing their fair share. It's a haunting statement for the local church, right? As a church here at Prodigal, just to make these weekend services happen every Sunday, not including the things that take place outside of Sunday, we need at least six greeters to welcome people who come to church. We need at least nine musicians or audiovisual sound volunteers each Sunday. We need at least seven volunteers here early for setup and to stay later for teardown. We need four hospitality volunteers for outside and the coffee and the donuts and then also for the info kiosks in the foyer. We need almost 20 volunteers each Sunday for our PC Kids ministry from nursery to fifth grade and at least four for our student ministries from sixth to eighth grade. That puts us at 50 volunteers per weekend. And then you add to the fact that we care about your schedules, your commitments, your time, so we only try and schedule you once a month. That puts us at 200 volunteers per month for a church of 350. 200 volunteers per month. Well, if you need that many volunteers, why don't you just hire more staff? Would you like for me to do a cost breakdown of our Sunday morning experience? (laughs) Facilities, staff, coffee, food, printing, the signage, kids programming. A slothful person is willing to benefit from the work of others without doing their fair share. Could this be true? Not saying it is. Everyone's, you know, we all have reasons. But could it be true for you in regards to volunteering? Could this be true for you in tithing? Are you willing to benefit from the church without giving to the church? Now, we're going to be talking about greed in a couple of weeks here, but I'm not convinced that greed is the reason why some people don't tithe. Maybe it's sloth. Uh, I know that many of you were saddened to learn this week the death of one of our church's most valuable members. Here's a picture of their gravestone, someone else. Someone else passed this week, and someone's passing created a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. Else has been with us for many years, and for every one of those years, someone did more than the normal person's share. Whenever there was a job to do, whenever there was a class to teach or work to be done, one name was on everyone's lips, someone else. It was common knowledge that someone else was one of the most generous givers at our church, Whenever there was a financial need, everyone would just assume that someone else would pick up the difference. 
Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes superhuman, but a person can only do so much. Were the truth known, everyone expected too much out of someone else. And someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who's going to do the things that someone else did? Remember, we, we can't depend on someone else anymore. He's gone. Sloth doesn't only hinder the church. It kills our souls. We should not picture the laid-back couch potato with a bag of chips in his hand, recliner, remote in hand, watching TV. No, we should rather picture the grim, the grim reaper, a messenger of death, who with bony little fingers pokes the spots in our lives that ought to be thriving, but instead he makes them atrophy. Listen, you could remain seated in your spiritual life. Or you could rise. Sloth is called the noonday sin because the monks who first composed the list uh, would get weary of their commitments and their work right about 12 o'clock noon when the sun is at its highest point. Sloth is the sin that is midway between all things that drag us down in human life and all the things, all of our attempts to pull us out. Uh, Dante, uh, the uh, 11th century Italian poet, he placed sloth in the middle of purgatory, either halfway up the mountain or halfway down the mountain, depending which way you look at it. Now, the story of Mary and Martha in the scriptures is an unlikely case study in sloth, but nonetheless very relevant for us today. It's found in Luke 10. It'll be on the screens. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. What's Martha doing here? She's accusing Mary of sloth, right? The way we typically think of it. I'm doing all the hard work. Mary's a lazy sloth. She's just sitting on her behind. Come on, Jesus, tell her to get off her lazy butt and help me. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If you're like me, you kind of side with Martha here, right? Somebody's got to do those things. The house isn't going to clean itself. The dinner's not just going to magically get whipped up. Someone has to do these things. But I think there's more going on here. Luke tells us that Martha was distracted by all the preparations. She's doing too much. She's going beyond what is necessary. And sloth is unnecessary busyness. Martha is not attentive to the teachings of Jesus because of busyness. We think busyness is a virtue. How are things? How you been? Busy. Been really busy lately. It's just a busy season right now. Pretty busy weekend. Busy, busy, busy. What we're really saying is, I'm important. I matter. People need me. There are things only I can do. I do stuff. We wear our busyness like a badge of honor, like it's virtuous. And just so you know, it can be sin. Busyness is not a virtue. Sloth 
often looks like distracted and unnecessary busyness. Mary is using busyness as a way of avoiding the things that she doesn't want to face. Listen to this quote by Frederick Buechner. He says this, Sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He is a man who goes through the motions, who flies on autopilot. He knows something is wrong with him, but not wrong enough to do anything about it. He is letting things run their course. He is getting through his life. Is your life operating on autopilot? Allowing it to just run its course? Is life just happening to you? The core issue in sloth is not busyness, nor is it laziness. It's avoidance. It's escape. It's disengagement. It's a refusal to fully inhabit the lives God called us towards. Life happens to us. We're not actually living out loud. It's avoidance. You think you're busy and that you're not slothful. You are mistaken. We often allow ourselves to repeat Martha's mistake. We get so focused on all the little things to be done or that need to get done, and we miss Jesus. Jesus only has a few months left on earth here, and Martha is going to miss it with unnecessary busyness. Is this you? I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm showing up on Sloth Sunday, but this applies to other people. It doesn't apply to me. The Desert Fathers did not use the word sloth to describe this vice. Rather, it was the word acedia. Acedia. Uh, it comes from the Greek word that literally, literally means lack of care. It's a heart issue. Sloth has more to do with being lazy about love than lazy about our work. Acedia can be productive, a great deal of activity, all the stuff we do to avoid doing the stuff that we should be doing. The virtue, the countering heavenly virtue of sloth is diligence. This sense of responsibility, dedication to hard work. And what's hard in dedication is something that should permeate what we do. Uh, it's an expression of love and devotion. The root word for diligence is the Latin diligere, which means to love. Sloth is apathy, comfortable indifference to duty. If you won't work hard, you just don't care enough. Acedia. Sloth becomes a sin not merely because it makes us lazy, but because it makes us lack the kind of love that lies behind that laziness. Diligence actually moves us to act. It's been said, what you are is God's gift to you. What you make of your life is your gift to God. God isn't looking for perfection in us. He's looking for progress, signs of genuine, authentic commitment, our lives to truly manifest the love of Jesus. Paul encouraged us in Colossians 3, one of my favorite verses. I used to sign my yearbooks with this uh, in high school. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Another translation says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto God and not unto men. Uh, Martin Luther tells the story of a Christian shoemaker. He says, a Christian shoemaker doesn't demonstrate his faith by etching little crosses into the sole of each shoe he makes. 
The Christian shoemaker demonstrates his faith by making good shoes. The slothful person tries to find happiness while evading the daily demands of self-giving love. Wendy Wassetstein writes this, when you achieve true slothdom, you have no desire for the world to change. True sloths are not revolutionaries, but the lazy guardians of the gate of the status quo. Some of you are bored. You're bored in your Christian life. You're bored in your marriage. You're bored at your job. But boredom isn't about there's nothing to do. Boredom at the heart of it is, I don't know what I'm meant to do. There's a difference. The sin of sloth is not just limited to, not, to just doing nothing. And it's not caring enough to move you to action. My heart begins to say, I'm just bored, so I distract myself. I let life happen to me. And the spirit of the living God says, awake from your slumber. Get out of your bed. It's, I'm not bored. It's just that I'm not gripped with real purpose. I've not been seized by any kind of call on my life. I don't let anything capture my imagination or allow something to move me into service. I don't have a sense of purpose in my life. It's not boredom. It's not being gripped with the purpose of God for your life. In John's letters to, in the book of Revelation to the seven churches, one of the most famous passages in chapter 3 uh, of the book of Revelation is to a church in Laodicea. And it says this in verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is a passage of scripture I'm sure many of us have heard, right? Uh, can't be lukewarm. God's going to spit you out of his mouth. He's going to spew you out of his mouth. First, let me clear up some misconceptions about this passage. Whenever I heard this passage, uh, it, the interpretation typically goes like this, right? Hot refers to people who are on fire for God, okay? Cold is those who give God the cold shoulder. They don't care about him. And that it's better to be one of those than to be lukewarm right in the middle. That, that being lukewarm, that's mediocre, half-hearted Christian faith. Anybody familiar with this line of thinking when interpreting this passage? Okay, maybe, but okay. I don't think that's what's going on here. Okay, let me explain. Laodicea is one of the three sister cities in the region of Phrygia, and there's Colossus and Aeropolis. Here's a map uh, of the ancient Near East uh, where you'll see this. Um, and uh, Laodicea had a water problem. Okay, we're from the Central Valley. We know what that's like. Uh, and so the waters of their neighbors, Aeropolis and Colossus, uh, they had plenty of water. In Aeropolis, they had hot water used uh, for medicinal healing properties, healing purposes. And for Colossus, they had cold, life-giving water, drinkable, wonderful. And Laodicea was affluent, being so affluent and wealthy, they decided to solve their problem themselves. They built a very advanced aqueduct system, of which the remains still are here. Here's the picture. An advanced aqueduct system, and they piped in water from Aeropolis and from Coloss to fuel their own city. But by the time the water arrived in Laodicea, the water was lukewarm, spoiled with impure mi minerals, and it cultivated a bacterial growth that often caused diarrhea and vomiting. 
Travelers often wrote when they went to Laodicea that the water made them nauseous. If the water had been hot, like Aeropolis, it could have been useful for healing. If the water had been cold, like in Colossus, it would have been refreshing and joyful. But as it was, the water was tepid, disgusting, and useless. Hot and cold were both good and desirable things. It wasn't hot as good, cold as bad. The point here is usefulness. The believers here in Laodicea didn't take a stand, and their indifference led to idleness. They hadn't been changed by the amazing grace of God. By neglecting to do anything for Christ, their church had become hardened and self-satisfied, and it was destroying itself. They were not being useful. Their surroundings affected them. How much we are in danger of being declared lukewarm depends on, very often, how much our surroundings affect us. How much has the world conflicted with your pursuit of Jesus? How have your, have your surroundings changed you? For some of us, God's calling us to change our surroundings. Last point on your notes is this. Sloth begins as an excuse, continues as a habit, and ends as a cage. For some of us, to move us out of sloth, to move us out of boredom, to wake us up from slumber, we need to become people of the second shift. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. And I'll close with this. If you're married, if you have a family, or if you're single, when you clock out of your day job and you get home, you don't clock out, you clock back in. Shift number two starts. And you give yourself in love to your spouse and you give yourself in love to your kids. You don't pick up a remote, you pick up your children. You don't pick up your feet, you pick up the floor, and you pick up the dishes, and you pick up dinner. You enjoy the call of God on your life to give yourself in love to those in your care. We need to become people of the second shift. When we arrive on a Sunday morning, well, it's the weekend, I just worked all week. We need to become people of the second shift. When we leave our day job and we're tired, we need to become people of the second shift. It is actually your primary call. Your primary call is not what you do, it's who you are. And we are to be formed to become more and more Christ-like, more and more sacrificial, more and more self-giving love, benefiting you at the expense of me. Last night, I officiated a wedding of a young couple in our church, Josh and Sarah Bacher. Beautiful wedding. And I've, I've done a lot of weddings, many, many beautiful weddings, and I, it's, it's one of the best parts of my job, the joy of seeing uh, love united. It's amazing. But last night, something happened that has never happened before in, in any of the weddings that I've officiated or been to. Instead of a, a, like a unity candle or unity sand or communion as their first act as a married couple, these two decided to wash each other's feet. You see, in John's gospel, we weren't given the last supper. We were given the last service. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, 
And he says, go and do likewise. It's a symbol of service above self. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so as their first act as a married couple, they removed shoes that have been walking around in the June sun (laughs) and washed them in Jesus' name as a symbol of what their marriage is supposed to be like, what our lives are supposed to be like, service above self. God, I pray that you would move us towards diligence and out of slothdom. Move us from sluggard to saint. And God, for those of us in this room who unnecessary busyness is actually their nine to five, and maybe not even just their nine to five, it's their nine to 11 p.m. It's their every day, all day, every day. God, I pray that they would not be distracted, that they would not be avoiding the things that they should be doing because they're distracted by things that they are doing. So shape us, God. Shape us. Be the Lord of our lives. Be the Lord of our hearts. Be the Lord of our service. Be the Lord of the second shift. That we don't clock out, we clock in. Help us to lead in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare the Lordship of Christ in our life and in our world? There was a moment when the lights went up When death claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history On a cross There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse is blood its own One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could